0: Okay, welcome to You Talking with Greg, (laughs) my very good friend, Lena Rachel Anderson, philosopher, author, futurist leader, (laughs) is here to dialogue uh, today. Uh, There are two core concepts that I've been very deeply influenced by in our exchanges, uh, seriously, um, and are now very much a part of my own way of thinking, and I really want to uh, take this opportunity to get your rich thoughts on them. One of them is metamodernity, and the other is built on. And yes. uh, I think they are central concepts for uh, us to be uh, considering as we well reflect on this crazy place that we're in in the 21st century and where we might want to go to uh, saner and more fulfilling times. So with that, welcome. Thank you. Um, so one of the things I thought, you know, I have your book right here is the, I have the meta-modernity book over there. It's a beautiful uh, Nordic secret. Um, and, you know, you have a vision for how we might be socializing ourselves in educational contexts and where we might be going. And so let me just throw that out to you and see where you might want to take us in terms of what's on your mind. And
1: Yeah. So I mean, I, I think both as uh, societies, as a species, and as individuals, we're in a time and place in our evolution as, you know, a species and as, as individuals where a lot of things are up in the air, uh, a lot of things are changing very okay. rapidly, mm-hmm. a lot of people are, you know, losing foothold, um, mm. our societies have institutions and legislation and education that are not up to the up to the job anymore because mm-hmm. it's it was created for the industrialized society in a modern world with you know sovereign nation states behind relatively s- solid borders mm-hmm. that hadn't been you know um, broken down by the internet. Um, so so the way that you and I were brought up, but a lot of people were brought up, and and everything that everybody has learned in school, even though they're a lot younger than us. Mm-hmm represents a world and an understanding of the world that of course still has value and is still very useful, but it's not enough. Right. So I'm not here to say that we have to throw everything out and change everything and come up with mm-hmm. entirely new stuff. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that what we already know is not enough and mm-hmm. we need to add something to that. Okay. And whether you are uh, a Western well-educated uh, you know, fortunate uh, part of um, mm-hmm. an academic tradition, and yeah, you know, f- f- sort of uh, in the sweet spot in in our economy and, and civilization. Or you belong to a minority, uh, or you're and and you know are struggling in order to, you know, pay your bills and stuff like that. Whether you're right. part of a traditional society, maybe you're illiterate, maybe you are uh, in an entirely different part of the world. Mm -hmm. All these uh, societies and communities that we know today have Mm -hmm. things of value that is worth bringing into the future. Mm -hmm. The question is, of course, uh, which parts are the best parts that enrich us, Mm -hmm. that makes life meaningful, that uh, allow us to find life meaningful, mm-hmm. that allow us to uh, connect with other people, grow as individuals, mm-hmm. uh, have safe and um, coherent communities, societies, family relationships, and so right. forth. Right. And what is... Uh, is the contrary and what does not you know provide us these many wonderful and good things and so whatever is meaningful and uh, allows us to connect with other people in peaceful ways and give us comfort and meaning we should of course bring that with us into the future Mm. men but it may not be enough there may be there may be things that uh, for instance if you only had I don't know five to seven years of school mm-hmm. you simply do not know enough about the world to mm. function in a globalized 21st century All right. All right maybe if you are you know extremely well well educated went to harvard business school law school whatever uh, maybe even uh, mm. one of the natural sciences mm-hmm. maybe you have a newtonian worldview and you're mm-hmm. really really good at it maybe mm-hmm. you are an expert in uh, the American legislation, for instance, mm. but it's it's you know the legislation of the nineteen eighties or maybe even mm. the nineteen sixties. Mm-hmm. But you're really good at it, and a- anybody who looked at your career would be very impressed. But still, it may not be enough. Mm. So we're all in a position where we need to expand our horizons and we need to understand the world in additional ways. Right. So so we all bring something with us that is really valuable. Mm-hmm we all need to learn new stuff and we all need to have conversations about this. So I would say that is, that is where we are. And I I think that whenever people talk about, so the future will be very different and Uh we need new Uh education, we need new knowledge, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people hear that, Oh, then I have to get rid of everything that, that means that is, that is, that is important to me that, that provides meaning in my life. Uh, And then people, you know, Get fearful, anxious, and perhaps even angry, and then we have the problems. So mm-hmm. my my first message would be: whatever you care about a lot, um, you should uh, you should probably be be you know able to bring that with you into that. the future. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. Um, but we also have to have some conversations about. So, um, what should the what should the context be for it? Right, uh, right. and what kind of communities would this be? Suitable for where would it uh-huh. fit in, uh-huh. and if we uh, and so this brings us to the part of the, the meta modernity, which is about right. cultural codes, right. right? So, you
0: authored a book, Meta Modernity Hope yes. and Change in a Complex World, or hope yes, and-
1: exactly. Right. Hope, yeah. yeah. Um, and so the I mean I guess most people know that we live in a in the west at least in a postmodern world and mm-hmm. around the globe people are people are being exposed to postmodernity mm-hmm. and postmodernism so the ironical deconstruction of everything of value particularly the uh, grand narratives most of us would also I guess in the west think of our societies as modern societies and what does that mean well it means for one thing, that we have separated religion and political power.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So, uh, what is revelation? Uh-huh. What is spiritual tradition? Uh-huh. What is Bible or Quran or the Vedas or these, you know, grand narratives right. that um, provide us with meaningful stories about what the good person is, what what is right and wrong.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, we can have them as individual guidelines. We can have them as the family tradition. I mean, we can gain a lot of wisdom from them, Uh but we cannot bring them into the political sphere Uh because we cannot vote about the content and we Uh cannot, I mean, we can deconstruct the content, but some people will be hurt. Uh Um, So what we can do in the political sphere in the modern society is that we can bring science into the conversation mm-hmm. and say, so what can we document here? What, what kind of facts are we basing this on? Right. And then when we know the facts, we can say, I don't like it or I do like it. And now mm. we can discuss whether we should do this or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if I'm a Christian or a Jew, uh, mm. I can bring in the Bible and say, my Bible tells me that this is right or wrong, but I cannot make the Hindu accept the biblical answer. Mm. On the other hand, the Hindu cannot tell me that Vishnu or Shiva uh, brings me this Mm insight, and so we should do like this. But what we can do as modern Democrats is that we can Mm -hmm. say, okay, um, can we find a common ground, or can we disagree, or can we agree on where to disagree, and then we can vote about what to do about this piece of fact or the situation that we're in. Mm -hmm. So I can absolutely have my religious moral compass as my inner guidance Mm -hmm. but I cannot claim that other people must follow my religion Mm -hmm. particularly not in politics I can go to church and and tell them that because that's what we have the churches for Mm -hmm. Uh, but I can't do it in politics so part of modernity is that we've separated uh, as we say church and state but really Mm -hmm. we separate religion and politics Right. Um and that is that is what has given us this modern <clears throat> society yes. and the modern liberties, political liberties, a lot of freedoms mm-hmm. that we enjoy in, in the modern society. And we should right. still you know enjoy these even in a postmodern era of the modern society. Before that, it was a traditional society, right. a pre-modern society. Um and that's where that's where we have the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, mm-hmm. uh, and where 3,000, 2,000, 1,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, what we know as religion today emerged. Uh Uh And before that, there were some uh, prehistoric indigenous societies. So now we're going back to the Stone Age, both the Uh Uh hunter-gatherers and the earliest agricultural uh, societies. Right. Right. And they had... So you break
0: up, I'm sorry, uh, you break up the sort of the evolution of cultural sensibility into these four domains, right? Yeah oral indigenous the traditional pre-modern the modern and then the post-modern yes Mm -hmm. and 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 part of the deal is is
1: to gain an understanding of each and the value of each so they provide different things to our lives Mm -hmm. and and so if we take the oldest part Mm -hmm. and i mean so two hundred thousand years ago Mm -hmm. genetically modern humans were around Mm -hmm. and uh they you know multiplied and spread <laughs> around the globe mm-hmm. and around the globe they met different climates and different mm-hmm. environments and adjusted their behaviors and their narrative, mm-hmm. their traditions their tools mm-hmm. everything but the there common a, a couple or several common denominators among these little groups mm-hmm. for instance rarely did they get a, become more than 150 people right uh, they did not amass more Material wealth, and they could carry with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They were hunter and gather the gatherers. They, you know, they may have, you know, made a campfire. They may have made a sure. camp from time to time. Particularly in the, you know, in the uh, Arctic areas, they would have built igloos or other right. kinds of of dwellings. Um, but there was not enough people and not enough wealth around in order for there to develop hierarchies of wealth and power. Mm. There were people who had more power than others, but there wasn't in institutionalized power and there wasn't, you know, a king with soldiers. Right. So what we have in these small communities, which would on a day to day basis be large families of mm. you know, three or four, mm-hmm. uh, two or three generations, probably mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would be that everybody could check the body language of everybody. If you Mm -hmm. had a situation, you could, you Mm -hmm. could talk to everybody. Everybody would actually chat to each other during the day. You could, you could Mm -hmm. have eye contact. Mm -hmm. So you could regulate the group by conversation and reading body language. Mm. And you can do that in a small group. And that's what we do in the family. Yeah. And we need this. I mean, we can't be people without this kind of intimate relationships where we can connect emotionally with the others. That's right. But then when we get into the larger societies and so let's say we get to the, you know, a stone age village with maybe mm-hmm. a, 2000 people, mm-hmm. then you get a different kind of power structure, but you can still know everybody, or at least know of everybody in mm-hmm. the larger mm-hmm. clan, mm-hmm. and so you can still regulate the social structure by there would probably be some kind of chieftain who beat up somebody from time to time, <laughs> but other than that, you could you could you right. could still regulate by personal, you know, interaction. Right. Yep. But when you get to a Bronze Age society of five thousand people in a ring wall city, you can't do that anymore. Right. And so they actually invented uh, written legislation. It took a couple of thousand years, but they did. Mm-hmm. Hammurabi's
0: uh, Code and whatnot.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Middle East, uh, Babylonia, um, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia. So now we have a different kind of regulations of of social interactions. Right. And in these societies, um, they develop narrative and written legislation as the tools for keeping people, uh, you know, keeping social calm within the larger society. And we also need this because Mm -hmm. we are parts of larger groups. This could be a village, a a city, town. It could also Mm -hmm. be a workplace, could be one of those large Mm -hmm. companies that people spend a lot of time in. Are usually the best hours during the week um and there we need we need uh rituals we need written legislation we need rules and we need a sense of community that's based on something else mm. and where we regulate uh behavior and conflicts mm. not least right. through a different kind of social interaction and. So, right. Written laws. So sentences. these are
0: the, the emergence of what I would call then systemic, large-scale systems of justification yeah. that are then given some sort of identity, group coordination, group yeah. flavor that's not manageable at the face-to-face or relationship. Exactly.
1: Level. And so, if imagine if you took the face-to-face regulation mechanism into mm-hmm. this larger structure, okay. then you would have either a mayor or a CEO oh. or somebody else leading this group. Uh-huh. or a pastor for that matter in in a church uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he or she would have to interact personally with everybody right. in order to make sure that people didn't get into fights and disagreements right. and you know cheating each other or you know just misunderstandings uh-huh. and so it doesn't work and likewise it doesn't work if you try to regulate your family with written legislation Mm. so it's like you call you know three generations mm. everybody sit down in the living room and now we write the laws for this for this family right that would get any family to fall apart immediately of course mm-hmm. so there, depending on the group size there are different ways of interacting right and then in the modern world we go we get to these million strong societies mm-hmm. uh, it can be you know authoritarian nation states or it can be democratic nation states right But here we have a whole different kind of written legislation Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons that we can have democracies in such large societies is that we have the um, means of communication, communication technologies that allow people to have a public sphere where we can discuss politics. Mm. And so the difference between the pre-modern larger society and its written legislation is that Mm -hmm. the pre-modern legislation was typically religious. Mm. Somebody had a revelation and said, ooh, the gods or God want the law, the legislation to be uh-huh. like this, uh-huh. and everybody could just agree or uh-huh. lose their head or something. Right. In the democratic nation state, right. we disagree on the legislation, and we uh-huh. ping pong ideas, and we you know, write uh-huh. letters to the newspapers, or we go to political meetings, or we join a political party, and then we have the discussions at big meetings, right. and then eventually... We vote for politicians who represent us and then they create the leg- legislation and then they, you know, come right. up with a result, and then we say, Damn it, I want to vote for somebody <laughs> else next time. So we have a process around this and we can have this process because of the communication technologies that we have.
0: Mm. And so then this- yeah. And this happens in terms of the Renaissance into the Enlightenment about 500 years ago? In yeah, terms of so of the, the printing
1: the press, printing press uh, the newspapers, mm-hmm. and actually an interesting thing about newspapers is that they are very much part of the process that allows us to have a sense of national identity mm. and cohesion, because mm-hmm. what you have with a newspaper is that it travels Across mm. long distances, right. and then people, I don't know, 300 miles away mm. read about, oh, what goes on in the capital or what mm-hmm. goes on with mm-hmm. um, you know the war at the border? or right. other people in another city have this fight with, uh-huh. I don't know, a, a rich uh-huh. uh, you know uh, industrialist who does something that people disagree disagree right. with whatever kind of news Mm -hmm. start traveling in writing in the 1700s and that suddenly allows the bourgeoisie to get a sense of ooh, there are people Mm. far away that i've never Mm -hmm. met Mm -hmm. who speak and read the same language as me and they're struggling Mm -hmm. with the same issues as i am Mm. so this i mean this can be in in the old world in europe where Mm -hmm. it was very much about the you know, the political power was the royalty, mm-hmm. but it could also be in, in in the United States or or Canada in the colonies, right. where people had a conflict with, of course, mm-hmm. the old world and the and the king, but also with each other in the colony. Right. So suddenly, there's this new kind of awareness about oh, we're we're a group of people where we where everybody does not know everybody anymore, and mm-hmm. wonder how many people we are. Maybe we're a hundred thousand, maybe we're a million, mm-hmm. and we have to have to make this society function and so we're going to write these opinion pieces in these this new invention called the newspaper Mm -hmm. Um, and then based on that you have gradually a political process that is emerging and then we're creating these nation states that we know today
0: right so we're seeing a real transition in the cultural consciousness Mm -hmm. as a function in part both the levels of organization and the technologies for
1: communication
0: are transforming that organization as well
1: And that is where we are with the digital media right now. We're meeting on Zoom. Right. Yeah. So on, you know, different continents and different time zones. And we had to coordinate this. Um, And then we have daylight savings time. That's just, you know, messing it up one hour. (laughs) And we couldn't figure out which way it was going. (laughs) So our human brains were not made for time zones. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, this is a very, I mean, this is... um, so, there's a couple of really important points here that I think we're building uh, to. And that is so, there's then the transition in terms of the cultural sensibility from oral to indigenous into pre modern. Then we get into pre modern, which is governed by sort of macro level religious, legal nation states. Then there's a the transformation. Or city states actually, actually empires. Really, yeah, actually, and then into empires. Um, but the ethos that governs it is mostly this sort of national religious ethos. And then we get into a transition in relationship to liberal democracy. And there's this scientific revolution also in relationship yep. to. So transition. we start documenting
1: things and try to find find out. So what is what is actually real? What what can we what is the objective truth outside our heads, which we can coordinate? Right. Right. Um, and, and we don't just, I mean, if, if I, if I came to you 2000 years ago or 3000 years ago and said that God spoke to me and we now must all go towards the East and say hello to the sun every morning, mm-hmm. if I had, uh, the right kind of charisma and did this with, you know, you know, sufficient, right. uh, enthusiasm and maybe some power. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could get you to follow uh, and get more people to follow, mm-hmm. people would accept that. And they yeah. would just say, oh, the prophet said that, that the God said so, and we need to do this. Right. But in a modern world, people will be like, oh, uh, yeah, really? <laughs> um, based on what? Did you yeah. experience that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't take that kind of uh, revelation as... A shared truth anymore, uh-huh. and and we don't base our you know societal development on it. Right. We may do be I mean built on a, a religious heritage uh-huh. and have our religious communities doing that, and that's okay because it yep. provides a different kind of cohesion and moral values and uh, you know uh, framework around the you know um, larger existential issues. Um, but it cannot be part of the modern political discourse because right. modern political discourse needs to be based on the shared objective reality outside of our heads. And then, I've, of course, I know that science is a process and we're just, you know, testing hypotheses, and we get new answers all the time. But that's the point. It's right. not like one scientist comes out and says, now we know nano." and this is what what nano is like Mm -hmm. um because there will always be other scientists saying yeah we agree that a nanometer is about this long Mm -hmm. depending on the length of the meter um but apart from that we have to disagree because i saw something that you didn't see and then we're testing Mm -hmm. who got who got closest to to what everybody can agree on or at, at least what nobody can prove wrong right so it's a different kind of process and in a democracy, in a modern democracy, we have to have that kind of science as part of the foundation for the political decisions. And then, of course, you have politicians and moral values negotiating. So what should we think of this? And what should our legislation be like based on this kind of knowledge? Right. So it's a different kind of situation.
0: Amen. And uh, so one of the things that uh, um, I'm going to throw out a sentence here and see if you can see what you're... Reflections are because this is really speaks to I think the some of the conversations that are happening in this sort of you know <clears throat> general larger meta modern meta space um, and this is a deep concern of mine in relationship to the relationship of the traditional worldview the modern worldview the postmodern worldview and what will be a sustainable meta modern sensibility um, and one of the things I'm involved in as I think you know in terms of my own. Exploration. I just want to get your read on this. And I'm searching for a coherent, naturalistic ontology uh, that revitalizes the human soul and spirit in the 21st century. Um, and yeah. sort of like, what are your, you know, I know you think a lot about these kinds of issues. And and in terms of both the meta modern sensibility, ultimately, Bill Dung looking across these sensibilities. What's your kind of assessment of? The need for that, what we are in relationship to that, what is, what ought to we be doing to find um, our direction in these regards?
1: Yeah, I mean that's why I think that that the, the, the meta metamoder- modernity, as I define it, can help us because we need that prehistoric indigenous mm. part of of life where mm. we have intimate communities or mm. relationships, mm. the the tiny clan, the the mm-hmm. larger family. It takes a village to raise a child, as they'd say. Right. We need that kind of tiny village. Uh-uh. We also need the pre-modern religious uh, narrative and revelation-based community uh-huh. where we have aesthetics and a tradition and a framework for the big transformations in our in- individual lives from a child to adult uh-huh. or child to teenager, teenager to adult. Uh-huh. Uh, marriage, uh-huh. we ought to have a... a some sort of uh, ritual for a divorce actually. Mm-hmm. And then of course, uh, you know, mm. death, uh, birth mm-hmm. for that matter. So right. we need these these big, you know, transitions in our individual and family lives to have a framework. We need the modern world and, we, and everything that that brought us with democracy and, and science and, and equality and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we need the, the postmodern insights of mm-hmm. perspective taking and mm-hmm. context. Mm. And that we can, in fact, deconstruct everything that came before it. Mm. But if we keep deconstructing everything,
2: mm-hmm.
1: life mm. becomes meaningless, mm. because then there is nothing of true, real, and deep value. Mm-hmm. And we need things of mm-hmm. r- true, deep, and real value. Mm-hmm. And both the the modern world, the pre-modern world, and the indigenous prehistoric world, you know, provides us with Affordous this. Afford us that, yeah. Exactly. And so we need to have some of all of that and bring mm-hmm. it with us into the future. and that's why, why I started by saying that whatever is really dear to you, mm-hmm. uh, we will you will, most likely, unless it's either sadistic mm-hmm. or destructive mm-hmm. for other people, you can bring mm-hmm. that with you into the future, but you have to add something. Mm-hmm. So if you live in a pre-modern context, in a s- strictly religious, traditional society, uh-huh. and your entire worldview is based on a religion. Uh-huh. I'm not going to take your religion away from you. Uh-huh. I mean, I can't. But uh-huh. what I'm going to suggest is that you need to add something to that approach to life, uh-huh. which is the modern part. Because uh-huh. having these pockets uh-huh. of pre-modern theocracy uh-huh. in a world with nuclear you know, weapons and uh, social media and uh, nanotechnology and killer drones and bunch of stuff is, I mean, we're not going to be safe around each other unless we all learn to handle ourselves in democratic open structures and by taking, you know, political responsibilities as adult citizens. Uh, We also need to have that postmodern understanding uh-huh. of religion having evolved in a historical context doesn't mean that it's without value it just uh-huh. means that it came it, it emerged out of a context uh-huh. and it provided one kind of value
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, and so the uh-huh. indigenous prehistoric culture provided uh-huh. a different kind of value right. and so did the modern world and so the, the postmodern world mm-hmm. and we need all of it and we mm. can only we can only live in peace around each other mm. if we realize this mm-hmm. and if we allow it for ourselves mm. and for others right. and so here there are a lot of challenges to this and this this will demand a huge mm. change in our educational systems yeah. in our culture mm-hmm. in our political lives in our priority mm-hmm. uh, in our priorities right. and so this is where bildung comes into uh mm. to the
0: so- yes, absolutely. So that's a this is a good transition point then a bit. So let me just summarize. So and, and I'll just actually I'll speak to my own experience with meta modernity um, and its meaningfulness because um, I found because I actually found that uh, my own work in psychology I think basically was really I didn't have the word for it uh, ten years ago or whatever, um, but I was searching for an integrative pluralistic post-postmodern grand ma- meta-narrative um, that pull together lots of key insights in an assimilative, integrative, coherent sort of way. And then when I stumbled across the metamodern movement uh, that you are uh, one of the major leaders in, there was a resonance with regards to the way in which it positioned. And in fact, I actually particularly like metamodernity because of the way it positions these four cultural codes or sensibilities and highlights the value in them and the possibility of assimilating and integrating the values across them and cultivating the kind of sensibility in the 21st century that we need. So I think that's, I just wanted to sort of summarize that because I think it's a beautiful and important uh, frame of reference that uh, is catching a little bit of fire, but I think we really we wanna uh, see what we can do to advance that term and concept. And then there's this whole issue about, well, how do we actually, Relate to each other uh, and find pathways so that people are actually positioned uh, to cultivate a sophisticated, rich, meta-modern uh, sensibility. And uh, you've done uh, very good work in relationship to educational philosophy and a vision for education around this concept of built-on. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to have to introduce a German word into the uh, English language, but right, I mean, right. there's always all already Gesundheit and uh, Schadenfreude, right. and people don't seem Balls to have a yeah <laughs> exactly, and people you know, don't seem to have a problem with uh, you know any kind of new uh, digital platform called Uber or Skype or whatever. So. Buildung. Screw is. it. Go with it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Buildung it is.
1: Building yeah. it is. And and um I mean the word build in German mm-hmm. means image. So okay. originally Bildung was about shaping yourself and your character in the image of Christ. So I mean, we're mm-hmm. like five, six hundred years back in time okay. where okay. Uh, okay. as part of the early Renaissance there was this uh Pietism. Um mm-hmm. and the first people who went to the United States were part of that movement, actually. Mm. So they were the religious Christians mm. who had... I mean, so if we go back 600 years to the medieval Europe, right? Uh, it was Christian, but mm-hmm. it was okay. Christian in a way where People weren't really aware of it. It was just it was just the way of life. It's like mm-hmm. the traffic rules today. Right. I I don't <laughs> confess to a different kind of, you know, one particular kind of traffic rules. When I go out into the street, mm-hmm. I just accept that the yeah. car is driving the right hand side yeah. of the street and I stop at a red light. Whether I'm a pedestrian or driving a car, that's just the way it is. Unless that's I'm in the weird. UK, then they're driving the, yeah. you know, left <laughs> side of the street, but they still have to stop at a red light. Yes. So it wasn't part of people's identity, it was just the way that things were. Uh, there were some Jews and some other minorities, but apart from that, like people were just you know, religious in the way that they were told to be. Yeah. But then in the 1600s, you have these, uh, this, this movement of pietism, mm. and it was a new kind of connecting emotionally with your religion, mm. and so it was a spiritual awakening. And suddenly, Europeans discovered, I mean, part of mm-hmm. Europeans, and mainly, I guess, higher bourgeoisie women mm-hmm. actually, and some okay. people in in the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't the peasants. Um, mm-hmm. and it was very much a, um, among women. Um, mm-hmm. So they started realizing that that they could actually feel this spirit and the mm-hmm. connection to Christ, and it became quite intense. Okay. And so you you had these new movements within mm-hmm. Christianity. It was also uh, after the Reformation. It was part of the Protestant, uh, different Protestant groups. Okay. And so religion suddenly became a personal choice in a different way than it had ever been before. Mm. And of course, these many groups couldn't stand each other. And <laughs> if you were believing in the wrong way, you were, you know, a heretic. And there was like things, You, you so you had all these people who, immigrated to uh, to the colonies in order to live a life in religious freedom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But what's interesting here is that in the German uh, culture, mm-hmm. the, the first Bildung was actually to have this image of Christ and okay. uh, shape your character according to it and having these intense feelings about mm-hmm. gotcha. spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. And then in the mid-1700s, this... Kind of religiosity kind of went out of fashion Uh and was replaced with a rational enlightenment. Uh And a lot of people were spiritually starving Uh because now the, you know, rational thinking took over everything. Uh And there was among German philosophers people who kind of rediscovered that emotional life and Uh having a moral development. And Uh you could actually, and that's what they discovered, the build, the image, could be the image of your individual personal character. Mm. And who are you as an individual? And how can you grow to become Mm. all that you can be, as the saying goes? Mm. So uh, Bildung became the individual personal development towards, it's both the process and the result of the development towards personal autonomy. And by personal autonomy, now we're getting into your field of psychology. Um, I mean, what they were saying in the 1770s and 80s is or was extremely close to modern developmental psychology today, Uh, where you have somebody like uh, Jean-Pierre Shea who was studying child development psychology Yep. You had Lawrence Kohlberg, who was uh, exploring moral development. And right. uh, you know more names of psychologists today. I, I refer to Robert Keegan, who's not actually a psychologist, mm-hmm. but um, works with le- leadership uh, development at, at Harvard Business School. Right. Um, but what modern developmental psychology says, you can... You know, explore this in, in more detail or in, mm-hmm. in broader strokes but mm-hmm. one one model has five stages right uh, there's actually six because there's mm-hmm. between zero to two years of age is, is not really mm-hmm. part of the model but the, the sort of the first right. uh, phase of, of of childhood after having been a toddler is is then early childhood from two to six years of age mm-hmm. where you are in the throes of your instincts, yeah, and you learn to control these and sort of, you know, see them as as something you can control, but you're still had by your emotions. Mm -hmm. That is why whenever you see a ball, you know, flying into the street, you kind of know that there's going to be a child after (laughs) it. So if you're in your car and you see a ball rolling across the street, you hit the brakes because children don't know that you can't just follow a ball when it rolls into the street. Mm -hmm. So age uh, six to 12 is, is when you learn to control your emotions and right. that kind of, you know, running after whatever, uh, where the ball is going, you have to, you know, be able to stop yourself and, right. and carry yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you, uh, you also go through a process of, of learning that the person that I am today is also there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And you start creating peer groups and Mm -hmm. lasting Mm -hmm. relationships with your peers. Mm -hmm. And you can only do that because you have a lasting image of yourself. So if if today I'm the person who prefers pizza to burgers, I will be the same person tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow I will also prefer Mm -hmm. pizza to burgers. Right. And if I'm not a good sport today among my peers, they're not going to play with me tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I gradually learn to you know, uh, play by the rules and be a good sport and all these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the age of 12, I should have learned to, to do this. Right. Uh, but for a lot of things, I simply am not mature enough to make my own decisions or create the rules myself. I can negotiate mm-hmm. them. I can also keep an appointment if if it has been stated explicitly, but I have a hard time coming up with um, sort of the the rules or the mm. the, the appointments or the mm. negotiate, uh, negotiated agreements mm. on my own. Mm. So we still, I mean, until the age of ten or twelve years old, need a lot of adult supervision and sort of framework around us i mean the the good adult educator be it a parent or grandparent or teacher Mm. can see where the child's boundary of understanding goes Mm -hmm. and then they will just provide the child with choices they can actually handle
0: right zone of proximal development
1: exactly the Mm. good old lev vygotsky um so uh when we get to our teenage years something happens hormonally Mm. And we are... <laughs> Ain't um, that the truth. <laughs> to- <laughs> Been there, tried that, made a lot of mistakes. All sorts of fun. <laughs> Not. Yeah. So uh, the, we get new needs and and new inclinations, and what we're really looking for is, of course, to mate with somebody. And in a modern society, we can't have anybody do that until they're like thirty-five and have student debt. <laughs> but our, our hormones are telling us around the age of thirteen and fourteen, go, you know, go procreate. Um, And so what we're looking for are, first of all, to become good mates, uh, but also somebody that the other adults can trust. And so we start internalizing the norms of society in order to show people that we can be trusted. And it's Mm -hmm. a really deep inclination in the teenager. I know that as a teenage parent, it may not actually always look like that, (laughs) but they are really trying. They really want to. And the reason why why they want to is because um I mean you may be able to find a, a sexual partner without being trustworthy, but you're not gonna find a set of in-laws without mm-hmm. being trustworthy. So there is a, a deep inclination for us to internalize the expectations of others. And that's what's mm-hmm. happening during the teenage years, and that's how we enter adulthood. And of course, as soon as you become a parent, you really want to be able to internalize the norms of society because that's how you get others to take care of your children if something mm-hmm. happens to you mm-hmm. so there is the socializing process also in in young adulthood and in adulthood and in modern psychology it's called self-governing mm-hmm. and then eventually you can realize that i'm really living my life according to other people's expectations maybe i should you know gain some Autonomy, <laughs> and uh, from time to time, I completely disagree with my surroundings. Mm. Maybe I should, you know, develop a moral backbone and be able to speak up to other people, even mm-hmm. my closest relatives. And so that is when you become self-authoring. According, mm. I mean, the, wh- what is called in, in yeah, Keegan and, and other parts of, of developmental psychology. Mm. And then beyond that, there is what Keegan calls self-transforming. But mm. What is interesting from a Bildung perspective in these uh, philosophers in the 1780s, 90s, mm. is that the late childhood, what I call the self uh, um, self consolidating phase, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the self governing phase in teenage years and in adulthood, and the self authoring phase mm. in later adulthood, mm. is actually described by these philosophers as Bildung. And That's so that really emotional development—it's—they're using slightly different words, but it's obvious that they're saying the same thing. Right. And it's like 250 years apart, which is really interesting, or at least yeah. 200 years apart. So it—it's fascinating that what what we think of as modern developmental psychology was actually described by people living in a feudal society 200 years ago in ringwalled cities. And this was the, the frustrated bourgeoisie mm-hmm. who were, you know, I mean, they were fed up with these authoritarian rulers. And some of them mm. were really nasty. I mean, there were some of them, they, if you said the wrong thing to them, you just ended up in jail and there were no courts. And you could mm. just sit there and rot right. it. I mean, right. you, until you didn't exist anymore. So um, in this environment, there were thinkers who discovered this kind of a, a development. And I my, my biggest, um, my, my absolute favorite is Friedrich Schiller. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the interesting thing with relation to our times is that he connected this to who can handle political freedom. Hmm. So what he said was that the first kind of, of people, so this is the, what I would say, uh, the Mm self-consolidating late childhood adult. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because he was only talking about adults. He wasn't talking about children. So he said, and he called them the emotional people. So these Mm. emotional people who are controlled by their emotions, Mm. they cannot handle political freedom because Mm. whenever there's a conflict, they will just, you know, go with their emotions. And so you cannot Mm. trust them. And he wrote this in the aftermath of the French revolution. So if they're you know, angry with the ruler and -hmm. they start a bloodbath, they'll just, you know, keep making bloodbath. They can't stop themselves once they're angry. Right. Then there's the second group of people, which is what we would then call the self-governing people today, and which Mm. Friedrich Schiller called the people of rationality. Mm. Uh, So the people who were following the rationale of society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They would I mean, since they're taking their guidance from other people, Mm. in case of a crisis or revolution, they would just follow the most agitated people, which would be the, Mm. the first group of people. Mm. And so if they were starting a revolution and a bloodbath, the self-governing people would just continue the the mm. you know, the riots mm. and the bloodbath. So they could not be trusted with political freedom either. And what mm. Schiller said was the only people who can be trusted with political freedom would then be the free people, the moral people. Mm. Uh what we would then call the people with autonomy or self-authoring people. And and why is that? Well, because if there is a revolution or a riot or um, an insurrection against the capital. Uh, they would say, "No, dear people, mm. you're allowed to be angry, but you cannot use violence. Mm. Um, you have to stop, mm. and then we have to talk about this, and we have to come up with a solution. And you can't just, you know, um, take people to the gallows without having a, you know, court of law. Right. And that is how you handle political freedom." Mm. And the process towards this kind of autonomy, Mm -hmm. self-authoring, is Bildung, but Mm -hmm. it's also the result of Bildung. Okay. So we can describe Bildung. and, And so what's interesting and what distinguishes Bildung from developmental psychology is that it also has the aspect of education built into it. Right, because okay. developmental psychology is really just, and I hope I'm not offending you as a psychologist. But,
0: I'm not but a developmental like, <laughs> psychologist, him. So, Maybe Zach Stein would be offended, but let's,
1: let's see about that. He also writes about pedagogy and, and, and right, uh, he's in there. So he, uh, he can build he, that bridge, <laughs> he, he can handle it, I think. But so modern psychology is an analytical tool. Um, it It can help you figure out where are people in their lives emotionally, uh, morally, um, with regards to their maturity and the way that they perceive the world, but it's not a teaching tool. What's interesting about Bildung is that it says, we also need to have culture built into this. We need to teach people something so that they can get this kind of Bildung. Mm -hmm. And what do we teach them? Well, first of all, we use the aesthetics because what are the aesthetics? That's an emotional expression. So in order to make that transformation from being the person who is in the throes of his or her emotions Mm. and to turn them into self-governing people Mm -hmm. who can take responsibility according to the norms of society, Mm -hmm. we need to help these people align their emotions with the rest of society. And Mm. we can do that through the arts. We can do that through Mm -hmm. music. We can do Mm -hmm. that through paintings. We can do it through literature. So we do that uh, through storytelling Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and that is, I mean, it's not like me telling you, you cannot do this or you must do that, Mm -hmm. or the right moral behavior is such and such. Mm -hmm. What we do is we say, explore this emotion Mm -hmm. and get to know yourself with this emotion Mm -hmm. through the arts Mm -hmm. or read this novel Mm -hmm. and let's have a conversation about it. How do you relate to this character? Mm. And, and what is great about uh, a, a great novel, for instance, is that you can relate to people who live completely different lives from the way that you live your life. Mm. And so you can identify with somebody going through an emotional process that is not your own, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you can still experience some of the same emotions because sure. you identify with the character. Right. And and you know, I mean, you experience how you would react mm-hmm. in, the, in the situation that this character is in. Right. And that is, I mean, if, if, it's, if it's crap literature, you're not going to get that experience. But if it's good literature, if it's well-written, you will mm-hmm. get that experience. Right. And so you can train your emotional muscle mm. to get experiences mm-hmm. from different you know, right. fields of life than you would ever encounter otherwise. Mm. Yeah. And so that is part of your building. Mm. And then when you have aligned your emotions and your values and your behavior mm-hmm. with society, it's time mm-hmm. for you to wake up and and feel your own emotions again and Mm. figure out for yourself what is morally right or wrong. Mm. And there you can use the arts again and you can, you know, Mm. wake people up and shake them up and get them to feel outraged or angry or, you know, caring or whatever Mm -hmm. about something that would, you know, Mm. get them to start thinking about, am I just Mm. following the uh, expectations of others or am I actually making up my own mind? Right. So, so what I really like about the concept of Bildung is that in order for us to provide good education, mm-hmm. we need to focus on the aesthetics, we need mm. to focus on cultural heritage, we need to focus on religion, we need to focus on the great narrative, the grand narratives, mm-hmm. and we also need to focus on conversation and philosophy and critical thinking and get people to relate personally to the things that they're being taught or the knowledge that is out there that they're not being taught so that right. they go and ask for it themselves because they realize that there's knowledge that I do not have. I ought to have this. Somebody mm-hmm. cheated me and did, me t- did not teach me this in school.
2: Amen. That's
1: so fu- so I'm that a- is mm-hmm. Bildung. And, right. and so it's more than developmental psychology, but the no, developmental clearly. psychology is in there.
0: Well, that's it's it's um, so many things about this are, Uh, striking to me. First off, um, it's really cool as a psychologist to see how early this developmental stage theory appears. Um, And second, as a parent of three who go through public school systems, we were able to channel them in pretty good public school systems. But there is a base, I would say, from what I would say, my wife is very much involved in the system, essentially a complete lack of philosophical reflection about character development in any type of stage. There's no education about emotion. There's no notion of a pre-conventional, conventional, post-conventional. There's no pulling individuals into themselves, thinking about society, reflecting back, and then growing out of. I mean, none of that is part of the structure and philosophy that guides that Process and it's really strikingly absent, especially when you lay
1: it out that folks have been
0: thinking about this, you know, hundreds of years ago.
1: Right, and in fact, I mean, one of the bildung thinkers was Wilhelm von Humboldt, hmm. who was actually the minister of education in. What would that be, Prussia? Uh, like eighteen nine to eighteen eleven, not for a long time, mm-hmm. but enough that he shaped the university. The, the the classical university of, of the Western tradition. Mm. And even in the United States, I mean, there was so much conversation going on across the Atlantic back then. And we, we also tend to mm. forget that. I mean, mm. the statue of Liberty was actually sure. a French donation. Yes. So, mm-hmm. right. So, um, so, I mean, there was a lot of, of, of interaction and intellectual correspondence mm.
2: uh,
1: and correspondency uh, mm-hmm. among those two continents. But, um the so so the idea of this it, it's built into the american college system it mm-hmm. it 's built into the uh liberal arts mm. programs mm-hmm. and so it is the philosophy also behind the anglo saxon mm. educational mm-hmm. university college tradition. Mm-hmm. But over the past 40 to 50 years we have marketized everything and sort of kicked mm. out anything that does not improve you know the mm. access to the work for, exactly to the workforce
3: mm-hmm.
1: so so we are actually making ourselves dumber mm. uh a lot dumber than we could have been and and one of the reasons is that we have you know aesthetics yeah that's just icing on the cake You know, philosophy, me icing on the cake. Uh, Narrative and religion, yeah, yeah, go, you know, if you want to be a pastor and become a theologian, you can study that. But we don't, you know, a science program, and I'm talking about the natural sciences as well as development of technology, does not have, and and they really should have, I mean, we have this whole thing about the two cultures. Mm -hmm. Just like the, the liberal arts students should learn the STEM the science and and technology and engineering and math, Uh all of the STEM people should learn the cultural heritage. Uh And we should have the dialogue because we're going to tear our civilization apart if we don't have that. Uh Because what we're having right now is technologies that are disrupting, uh, not just the political uh, structures and power structures, Mm-hmm. But also because they go worldwide and, you know, uh, the the market is the only narrative that anybody can agree upon.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: they're just tearing all the traditions apart. Mm-hmm. And so everybody is, is becoming this market zombie instead of becoming both an active player in the economy mm-hmm. and a religious person and a moral person. And an autonomous person, uh, and somebody with a personal aesthetic taste, and the ability to—I don't know—play an instrument, sing in a choir, um, you know, tell a story at a dinner party. All these things that that make life interesting and meaningful, and where you where you can really show what what matters to you, and and what you know resonates with you, particularly that resonates with you as an individual right. and not just you know anything you just right. picked up on television yesterday or stumble upon on the internet right. and youtube so
0: right. that so that and, sense yeah and you're working to we're you know trying to spread the build-on message right in uh, yep. relationship what's your thoughts and visions about what might advance this conception uh, right
1: so Right, so uh, three years ago, I wrote a book called The Nordic Secret. I developed it uh, with a Swedish colleague, and it's about how this bildung concept traveled from the German philosophers to Denmark and and became folk bildung. So we popularized it and didn't just give it to the bourgeoisie, but also to the peasants. Mm. And so we lifted the Danish society from the bottom through this kind of rich, broad, deep education. Okay. And the same thing happened in, in Norway, Sweden and Finland. Mm. And so that's that is the Nordic secret. Now I revealed mm-hmm. it. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay. so I thought it was just uh, think positive. Yeah. No, that's the other secret. <laughs> no, that's the, that the, that's somebody else. Uh, no no no, we have the Scandinavian noir. We're like oh. uh okay. um, <laughs> so but so um, based on this this book and particularly because David Brooks wrote about it in, in the New York Times um uh actually based on the book we started a think tank called nordic Building, and uh and that's where i spent uh, most of the time including now um and we wanted to take this nordic heritage and get it out into the world and because uh, david brooks wrote about the book in in new york times uh Mm. people started contacting me from Mm. the united states and uh while that was happening we were starting a european building network Mm. which has a an annual european building day on may 9th this year also on on may 8th and so we're bringing people together in europe to talk about building and how can we do this and what are the best practices and so forth but now people have contacted me in the united states and so we're starting a a north american building network Mm. and there are people in brazil and uh, uh, Puerto Rico and Chile, who are interested mm. as well. So we're also starting a Latin American mm. building network. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the European Bildung network has been sort of, you know, working on it for two and a half years now. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and and the uh, North American one is just, we've, we've had some Zoom meetings for... for you know, once a month for six months and we brought in more people and now we've been Mm. sort of talking for about a year. And so uh, we're trying to get Bildung uh, to introduce it as a concept in in North Mm. America and get it, you know, make it a household word in in the English language because then Mm. we can talk about this horizontal, you know, expansion of of your horizon into Mm. new kinds of knowledge and the Mm. vertical development of your, Mm. you know, emotional depth, Right. Uh, cultural roots, cultural depth, and moral aspirations, and and, and how we mm. how we're going to you know become better at at integrating this into existing teaching and educational structures.
0: Right. So is it fair to say then that you sort of have this meta modern meta modernity view of the cultural sensibility of what we can transition into in terms of pulling from cultural consciousness, and the bill Dung represents then this character educational system developmental view that we can then grow into and those together really rep- represent a particular kind of framing for cultivating ourselves
1: in the 21st century that's my that's my take on it. And, and and those two things really go together and and i would also say that i mean throughout these four major cultural codes you can mm-hmm. subdivide them into smaller things, but th- this, this makes it more tangible. Um, there is Bildung in all four of them. Mm. But of course, societal expectations look different in all mm. four of them. Mm-hmm. And the the way that you can grow as an individual is, of course, different mm. if you're in a small group of, I don't know, 100 hunter-gatherers who live together all the time mm-hmm. and who have to be you know, who have to survive in nature and then different kind of society in a ring walled city or a traditional society with thousands of people, but where you have uh, priests who who tell you what is right and wrong. And then in a modern society where you have many viewpoints and you have mm-hmm. to find your own character and your mm-hmm. own viewpoints in mm-hmm. that, you know, multitude of of mm. um, of rights and wrongs, and then in a postmodern society where we're trying to convince us that there is no right, there is no wrong. <laughs> There's just you know relationships, and everything is depending on context. And so, building in in all of these four circumstances, of course, has a different. Uh, I mean, evolves in the indiv- individual mm. under different sure. circumstances, mm. but. But we all have the same potential and we all have, um, I mean, the the possibility in all of these societies and and different cultures to, you know, become self-governing and eventually also to gain uh, autonomy. But of Mm. course, personal autonomy looks very different in, I don't know, New York City than on the African savanna.
0: Cool. Well, are there um, so that that covers the two major concepts that I was hoping we would touch on? Are there anything that's particularly in addition to this that, alive for you, or things that you would like uh, to sort of cover in this uh, dialogue?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, no, I mean, I, I think I've, I've 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 touched upon everything, but I, what I really want to emphasize is that the the foundation of our societies and our freedoms. I mean, of course we need a functioning economy, but over the past 30 to 40 years, we have started focusing so much on money and the economy that we kind of forgot the rest. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we go to the average Western person and ask them, what is politics about? What should it be about? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I bet that most people would say, but that's about the economy. Or Mm. it's about taxes. Um, And it shouldn't, I mean, it should be about that as well. But we've forgotten that politics is really about what are the moral values behind our society and how do we make sure that everybody thrives in society. Mm. And the economy should really just be a tool Mm. in that political process where we try to figure out what would, what would be the best way for most people to live, where we still take into account the well-being of the minorities who do not want to live like that, or who would not thrive in the same way as, as the majority? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we have meaningful conversations about where would we like to take this society? Mm. And if, if we have politicians who keep insisting that this is mainly about money and taxes, and, um, you know, saving money or, yeah, uh, you know, if if we pick a third topic, it's usually defense. Mm. Um, right now it's the corona actually. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. mm. But apart from that, how often do we have a really big public debate about school systems
2: mm.
1: or our cultural institutions? Mm-hmm. The institutions that allow us to you know understand the world that we're living in the symbols that allow us to communicate and to express ourselves and and be human in these huge societies i mean culture and education really ought to be at the core of our societies so so that is one thing that i that i would say we really need to change our focus and what's interesting about the corona pandemic is that suddenly all governments realize that there's something that is more important than money. I mean, suddenly, governments realize that we don't have to just think about the economy all the time. There's actually something that is more important, which is that people survive and and live in good health. And if we can take that with us uh, as we enter, exit on the other side of, of, of the pandemic, Right, um, and have different conversations about. So, what is really important? What mm. what is what is important in our societies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what, what is the future that we would really like? Mm. And then we could turn the economy into a tool for that. Mm. And I think that one of the reasons why we also need good science education, and and the um, and the humanities, is because we need to feed our our imagination. And we need people who, you know, study you know sustainable uh, food production and circular economy. Different kinds of create of, of understanding what is what is a healthy economy, uh, biodiversity, of course, uh, nature and the climate. All these right. things. The more that we understand these, we can have meaningful conversations about. So, what would the good society look like? What would the good life look like? Um, what would be a meaningful family life 10 years Mm. from now or a hundred years from now? We never have those conversations in Mm. in the, you know, you may have them with colleagues or in corners of the public debate, but we don't have it as, as the big issues. And that is really where they ought to be. Um, So building is part of that because Mm. that's where you get the, you know, the understanding of in, in many kinds of directions, you need to understand different kinds of, of fields of knowledge in order to have meaningful conversations about where society should develop.
0: Wonderful. All right, that sounds sounds uplifting, inspiring. I couldn't agree more. At the level of uh, reflection about what our foundational values are, especially as this world changes so much based on the technology, is in so yeah. much flux. Uh, now is the time to reflect on these. And uh, so, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom in relationship to Bill Dong, And I hope that word spreads and I hope meta modernity spreads also. I think the tandem of those two uh, are brilliant frames and necessary frames uh, for the situation we're in and exactly the kind of uh, vision of 21st century wisdom, knowledge, uh, construction that uh, I'm looking to explore. So thank you so much for coming and well, sharing. Thank
1: you for inviting me
0: absolutely is there um any place that folks should find you or if we uh,
1: oh leave yes
0: some, uh, <laughs> notes in the show notes or anything along those lines
1: yeah i mean org. that's our uh, think tank mm-hmm. i have my own website called lena um and then the there is something called the building rose mm. so you can just google building rose and it will take you to our website there's also a buildingrose.com website so um and there will soon Beautiful. be uh, a, a corner of the Nordic Building website where the North American Building Group uh, can mm. be found and also the Latin American one. So um, we're working on that.
0: Great, great, fantastic. Yep. All right, well, we'll put that uh, down and thank you so much. And uh, let the Build on Rose bloom. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right.